Well, hello, and thank you for joining me on the Clarity Podcast today. It's the fourth conversation in this season of getting us future ready as leaders. Now, to me, being future ready is about being able to be strategic or up in the helicopter seat of our life and business, being able to respond to the opportunities that are coming our way versus getting stuck reacting to everything or person that is coming our way. And it's often about investing the time and the headspace to plan, train, and focus on the things that are going to help us to get us to where we want to be. And so my aim with this podcast is to bring you some of the amazing specialists and thought leaders who have inspired and mentored me to do this. Today, I wanted to talk about one of the main challenges we have as leaders How do you balance being a good human-centric leader when the pressure is on to hit commercial outcomes? I couldn't think of a better leader to have this conversation with than the amazing Heather Dawson. Heather is a financial services leader and currently the CXO of the local government super fund. She's also a trained coach, a Google search inside yourself, mindfulness trainer. And I think she's one of the most mindful and down-to-earth leaders that I know. It must be her roots growing up on a farm in Nebraska in the USA. Um, And I've really had the pleasure to work and collaborate with Heather for nearly the whole of the last decade. So I'm so excited about the conversation. In our conversation, we're going to be covering what it takes to be a human leader in today's work environment what it's going to take to be a human leader and drive successful and sustainable organizations in the future workplace, and really how to start practicing and embodying this as a leader. We're also going to talk about how to become a more emotionally intelligent leader. We're going to talk about how burnout can drive you to change and ultimately exit your environment. But actually, if we really want to create sustainable change, that change has to come from within. And we're also going to talk about how you can start doing that and also how mindfulness-based tools can hold the secret to becoming a more mindful leader. Heather's going to share so many great insights, pieces of research and tools. I know you're going to love this conversation. Let's get into it. Okay, I am very, very excited today to have the gorgeous, wonderful, amazing Heather Dawson with me, who um, has been a dear friend and inspiration and teacher, and I could name many other sort of guises that she's been a really profound and important person to me in my life. And so I couldn't think of anyone better when I was researching who are the people I wanted to talk to for this second season of the podcast. Um, Cause I really wanted to get to some leaders that were at the coalface of leadership and really kind of dealing with some of the challenge and change and disruption and having to show up every day as kind of human leaders being good for the but good to themselves good to their teams and you know really purposeful also for their organizations and so heather has very kindly agreed to spend the next 
I don't know, we'll see how long we're together the next half an hour or so, really digging into this um, area. And the other thing I would say about Heather is she's really a rare gem in, in the respect that she probably leads in the most mindful way of, of any of the um, sort of leaders that I know. Um, and she's an avid follower of conscious capitalism, um, which we may or may not touch upon. And also she, in addition to her role as a senior executive in the financial services world, she's also a Google search inside yourself trainer. Um, so we're, we're going to explore probably many areas, but I wanted to say welcome. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, but for all of our listeners, could you give me a little bit of your background on your personal journey in leadership, but also around the globe and, and the places that you've worked and, and perhaps some of the roles that you're in, uh, you have been in so that our listeners can get a bit of a feel for you? Well, thank you, Claire. And it's so so wonderful to be with you. You too have been such an important part of my life and journey. And we've we really become good advocates and confidants and supporters of each other, other. So thank you for all you've done for me. So and this is great. It's wonderful to talk about leadership, emotional intelligence, mindfulness, and how we can show up as our as our best self. So I I'm, as you might hear from my accent, I'm a native Nebraskan. I'm a native of the United States, Midwest of the United States. I grew up in farm country, and so I'm a fifth generation Nebraskan. And so probably my first job was actually, you know, irrigating and moving cattle and actually <laughs> uh, working with my dad and my uncles and my, my grandfather, my grandmothers. And so... so that's my grounding, you know, and that's home for me and where I return mm-hmm. to every year. And but then I sort of realized there's a big world out there. And my father said to me as I was going to the university, I think you have a head for business. And so, OK, I'll just get a business degree. And and it has served me well. And so I have been fortunate enough to work in the financial services industry, mostly in the space of helping people build for a secure retirement in in the corporate sense. So uh, working in the United States, traveling the United States, had this great job at a college where I got to travel around the United States, sometimes standing on factory room floors or in the back of loading docks, and sometimes in a Manhattan boardroom talking, <laughs> not, uh, talking about how do you save and invest for your future. So just a wonderful experience early on. And then I moved to Seattle, Washington on the West Coast to join an investment firm didn't know anybody in the United States, but just, or excuse me, didn't know any. Then I moved to Seattle, Washington, and didn't know anybody at that time in Seattle, but wanted to live somewhere else besides the Midwest and had always loved uh, the Northwest. So was there for two years, and then lo and behold, somebody thankfully said, why don't you think about coming to our office in Sydney, Australia? And I've been here for 12 years. So it's been an incredible journey. Lucky us that you came over to this side of the world. Wow, what a journey. I love that. I'm curious to know, you know, is it easy to kind of, is it, which is easier, you know, moving your teams around or herding your teams or the cattle? Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I would definitely say the cattle. <laughs> so you can easily find out what, uh, what uh, motivates them, which is normally food. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And what I must say is just before we hit record on this podcast, you know, I mean, Heather talked about this sense of this groundedness coming from the very real earth. And you can really tell that when you interact with Heather and her groundedness. But the other thing she did for us as we started today was just to take a minute to 
land in the space and have a few breaths and get grounded before we started this interview. So um, just wanted to say that so you get start to get a feel for Heather and kind of how she operates and and how she's able to come into a sense of her human self. Um, so thank you for sharing a little bit about your story. I know we're going to kind of go um, deeper, but could you give us a bit of a description also around your what you consider to be your leadership style and who you kind of consider yourself to be as a leader in, in the corporate space? That's a great question. I probably only in recent years would have had a label for it, and I would now say that I show up to be an emotionally intelligent leader. And what do I mean by that? It means being, first of all, self-aware as I can, and that takes practice, uh, such as our mindfulness practice that we did beforehand, (laughs) to just be really tuned in to how we are day-to-day because it changes day-to-day. It means being able to manage my emotions and so that I'm consistent with the teams I work with every day and they know what to expect because I can navigate the emotions and the changes that we all face as humans. And then it's tapping into what motivates me and knowing how I need to align my strengths and what gives me a sense of purpose to the work I do and how to stay as much as possible on track. And so I've learned a lot about emotional intelligent leadership. So I would say that's how I try to, what I try to practice every day and some days better than others. But that's that's the journey I've been on. And I love that thought of um, being a leader takes kind of constant practice. Um, you know, right. a lot, you know, we're not just suddenly no there and we're this amazing leader. You know, you've got many years of experience and so it's you know I'm curious about your practice. I might just go there now. Are there some obviously we took a moment of sort of mindfulness, but when you think about building that emotional intelligence um, and being able to show up consistently, what are some of the practices you think about? Well, I came to that through going through a period of burnout actually, mm-hmm. and really I would say, and it was actually right before I met you, Claire, way back in uh, 2012. And actually really burning out of after 20 years in the financial services corporate world, I'd worked for three multinational firms, two of them based here in Sydney. I was based in Sydney, but they were headquartered in the United States. So trying to juggle time zones and meeting expectations of a large organization and and really having incredibly high expectations of myself that I never seemed to be able to meet. And I just burned out. And so after a burnout and I quit my job, which was, you know, leaving a good salary and leaving a sense of identity and purpose to really going back to ground zero again and saying, how do I want to live and work and try to have a sense of well-being again? And so I had to rebuild myself, if you will, and I use mindfulness, yoga practice, a lot of good sleep, <laughs> and then became uh, became involved with Conscious Capitalism Australia, which gave me a sense that business could actually be a force for good, that we could actually have profitable companies but actually do really good work in the world and make a difference for people. And that started to get me back on track of, because I've always loved business, but I had burned out of it, and it started getting me back on track. And then through that, I had this amazing opportunity to become 
selected and accepted into the Search Inside Yourself teacher program, which was founded at Google, which is a neuroscience-based mindfulness and emotional intelligence program for leaders. And that just continues to teach me so much as both a teacher and as a student of that, of how do I show up and be at my best. So it's been a it's been an interesting ride, but it came. I came to this through a period of burnout first. Thank you so much for sharing that. You know, as a sort of fellow burnout kind of uh, woman as well. Um, you know, I love the fact, and I think this is where we really connected. That you also found your way back to business. That you were passionate about business, kind of over it, due to those sort of hours in the way that you might have been working, but then were as you kind of regrouped with yourself and started some practices to kind of self-care practices, I guess, in terms of your yoga and mindfulness and discovering purpose. And, you know, when, once you get to that place, you know, for me as well, conscious capitalism was the thing where you went, actually, there's a different way to kind of do business and still achieve commercial outcomes. So I'm definitely with you on that connection point and I think the business world is richer for having you back and we so need I feel like we so need you know um, empathetic and emotionally intelligent leaders to stay in the business world because so often people jump out and don't yeah. come back in well it's such a good point because I didn't know I was gonna if I was gonna come back in but I could tell that I wanted to like I could tell mm-hmm. that there was this motivation and draw to me but I had to learn how to be different in it and I also had to learn to kind of live within this paradox because I do think sometimes we sort of par- we sort of um, stereotype leaders as being human centered or profit driven or uh, people centric or heart centric or commercial. And actually, to me, the best leaders bring all of that together because you actually can't grow a successful, sustainable business without inspiring a team to get behind Mm. you and have a sense of purpose and really want to serve customers and really grow a business. You actually need all of those skills. So I've learned to kind of dance with that paradox that you hear a lot of times or those stereotypes and actually be more integrated as a leader as I showed up. And I think that serves us well in this time of the world. We need leaders to show up in that way. I love that thought of um, being an integrated leader and just, you know, if we can follow a bit of that chain, because you're starting to talk a little bit about in terms of what you think it's going to take to to lead in our rapidly changing and evolving sort of world. And so, so being an integrated leader, can we talk a little bit more about that in terms of, you know, you're at the coalface of this rapidly changing world? What what does that mean to you? Well, it's such a great question. I don't know if I've actually described it in that way until you brought that forward. So thank you for that. Because I do think it's our work as humans, mm, right? Yeah. It's to grow and develop and integrate all the parts of ourselves mm. and all of our talents and strengths and where we need to develop. We, I think that's part of our work as humans. But what's, well, I've spent the better part of the last couple of years in the space, I curated, for example, a global summit on the future of work at the last company I was in. I had the pleasure of working with some really great thought leaders, um, a woman here in Australia, Don- Donna Ivey, a woman in New York named Heather McGowan. They're both leading thinkers and futurists. And they taught me a couple of things for all of us as leaders. And the first is, 
you know, the future of work, we hear about AI and technology, but we also need deeply human skills. Like yep. you said, Claire, mm-hmm. empathy, problem solving, creativity, mm-hmm. still really important. So we have to develop those in our people and ourselves. Mm-hmm. And the second thing that they taught me was that we, we need to become lifelong learners in the future of work. So mm-hmm. in this rapidly changing world, you know, we, we have to keep growing and, and trusting ourselves that we can learn and adapt and apply ourselves to new things. You know, just as one example, Heather McGowan, uh, this futurist from New York, and I think she was the LinkedIn leading voice last year on Future of Work. And she says, you know, in the past, we would work to learn. So we'd go to school, we'd get some sort of certification, and we'd work and apply that. And then we'd work, and then we'd retire, hopefully. Now, in the future, with the future of work and this fourth industrial revolution, we will, we will work, we will learn, then we will learn and work again, and we'll have this new thing where we're learning to work, right? So we're learning new skills, and we're applying that for a while, and then we might go back to school, or we might pick up another certification and learn something new. And I think that's exciting for all of us when we think about thriving in the future of work. I love that. I absolutely love that because I feel like for the last seven or eight years since I stepped away from my kind of traditional role, although I get a lot of training in that role, it would often be quite skills technically based as opposed to learning such a broader range of skills, as you say, the human competencies like kind of empathy and how do you do that and how are how are you able to be emotionally intelligent how are you able to really fire up creative thinking you know all of these broader skills are actually the ones that are going to serve us best and it's almost what i was imagining as you were talking then heather was this kind of symbiotic relationship or circular relationship between working and learning and that this is going to there's going to be a constant spiral upwards into our kind of growth um, and I think that's really exciting. And I and I constantly say in lots of our trainings, as you know, we do a lot of well-being centric training. I will constantly be uttering, "This is not the stuff that you'd learn at school, but it's so needed now in the workplace." And so I feel like there's this explosion of possibilities around education and learning, which leaders now and into the future need to kind of grab with with both hands. So I was loving what you're saying about the. Did you want to add? Well, I was just going to back up what you were saying. You know, if you look at what the World Economic Forum is saying, or there's a great um, think tank out of Silicon Valley called the Institute for the Future. And if you look at their top skills for the future of the work, future of work, most of them are human skills, right? So emotional intelligence, social intelligence, empathy, creativity, all of that adaptive thinking is so all of that is how do we use all the intelligences that we have to actually thrive in the future it's so exciting i know i'm i'm as excited as you and and to be on that journey to kind of work with people to discover to help them actually grow and build those skills it means it's a really exciting time for us as well in the business so um but let's go i wanted to hear while i've got the the kind of privilege of having you here i wanted to hear so we're we're really excited about the growth and learning opportunities but i wanted to hear a bit about what are some of the challenges do you feel either for yourself or your teams from the coal phase what are some of the challenges that are getting thrown up um, by this changing workplace. You know, I'm in an organization right now that I have the privilege of of running a large project for, and I will say that. Let me start. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. 
you, what was the last part of that question? Um, so what are some of the challenges that you or your teams are facing with the rapidly changing world and workplace? I would say the way what I'm observing now inside large organizations, and I'm in one right now, is just the the volume of work, yeah. the um, demands that people mm-hmm. face, the pressures from multiple stakeholders. Yeah. So they may be in a profit um, generating division. So the shareholder expectations, the group executive expectations, the customer expectations that are coming, the just the community expectations, the internal expectations they have to keep innovating, to keep delivering higher results. I would say it's it's the volume and the pressure is is unprecedented that I've seen before. So what does that mean? So it means as leaders, we have to be more tuned in than ever to how we are dealing and adapting in that way. What can we learn? How do we need to flex to be at our best and stay resilient, but also be really tuned in to the the experience of our people. How are they um, adapting? Are they staying resilient? Are you noticing people really having a hard time, whether it's sick days or just mental health, and just being really supportive and creating a culture during this demanding time where people know that they are cared for, you know, and dare I say loved, right, in terms of you really care for them as human beings because it's tough, right? Business is tough out there. I think when organizations do that really well, and I'm really inspired by a few of them, and there are many examples, but Accenture is a great example. They've got an initiative they've rolled out called Truly Human, right? So recognizing the fact the pace of change is such, we actually also have to help our people be deeply, truly human if we are going to actually still be a sustainable performing organization. Mm-hmm. So I think the, the pace of change is not going to is not going to go away. It's how do we help support our people and support ourselves to adapt. I love that. Thank you. I mean, I think... Um... You know, this is the key thing. I'm having a lot of conversations around this. I mean, resilience has been round as a, a, there as a word for, you know, or a term for a very long time. But as we move into this period of, unpre- I feel like we've hit this tipping point of unprecedented pressure um, and change happening. And it almost feels like we're going to have a tectonic shift at some yes. at some point. But we're still in that, you know, there's there's a friction happening at the moment because we we know we need to work in a different way and we know we need to bring some of these human competencies and capabilities to the floor. But it's almost like the, the systems and the organizations haven't aren't quite adapting to that. I don't know if you feel this kind of tussle um, between perhaps knowing we need to be more human and, and and, you know, trying to show up every day to do that and temperature um, test where our teams are at, but I feel like some of the organizations aren't necessarily set up. You know, great example of Accenture, um, but some of the organizations aren't yet kind of designed or set up around having the humans in the organization sort of thrive. And so I, I guess my question is, you know, what do you think it is going to take for us as leaders, but maybe more as organizations to genuinely be able to create a positive impact in the future? Because it sort of feels like we're in this pressure cooker moment, but 
do you see that there'll be a shift coming and that things will get easier or yeah what's your kind of perspective there well i do think you know organizations are our people right mm, <laughs> are about yeah. people and so it will take people and leaders to create this change mm. i don't necessarily have the answer to it i don't think anybody does <laughs> but i think that we um we just are finding that well here here's a great example too i mentioned accenture Google's done a tremendous amount of research on what makes up their best high-performance teams. And they've done hundreds of interviews, analyzed thousands of data sets, and they found that the number one attribute of their highest-performing teams was psychological safety. Now, this is Google, right? Engineering. Yes, I know. <laughs> right? Oh. Um, psychological safety. Mm. Who would have thought? They didn't. They were surprised. but. Yeah. What does that mean? It means creating a culture of trust. It means creating a culture inside your teams where people know my manager's got my back, my teammates have my back. It means I can take risks, and if I fail, that I still am valued as a part of this team. These are all the human skills we're talking about here in our conversation. So I think it is a responsibility of us as leaders to create environments where people can thrive and to to enable people, because we don't know what the future is going to be, and we do know that the fourth industrial revolution will be and is disruptive, but it also produces great opportunities. So how can we galvanize a team and these great minds that we have to help create the future we want? And so if I'm a leader thinking, sat here listening to this and thinking about this and going, yeah, I absolutely agree and I want to think about how do I if my outcome is to kind of galvanize a team that's playing to strengths and thriving and able to actually thrive in this environment what would be some of the kind of key one or two pieces of advice you might give around how I start that process well listening I know that sounds so basic but you know just recognizing the brilliance that we have around us and we don't have to have all the answers as ourselves as a leader and having that vulnerability as a leader to say, you know what, I I don't know the answer here, but I'm thinking we get together as a group and we sort of share this and problem solve together and create together, we can come up with a great outcome. And I didn't do that always early in my career. I was too afraid to show that I didn't know the answer, (laughs) but not now, not now. It's there's too, you know, when you, the more senior you get, the more you have to listen to really to really know how to navigate. So I would say start there. That's what I'm trying to do as much as possible. I love that. Thank you. Yeah, and I was um, also featured in this series is Oscar Trimboli, who literally is all about listening. So I've got to connect you guys, but he he's on a mission to, to help one billion people uh, listen more in this world. So Fantastic. he's, you know, he's really kind of, um, that was his key message too as well and I and I feel like there's almost this sage-like journey that we go on as leaders and I'm definitely not there yet but you know when we're kind of striving and coming up through the ranks as leaders then perhaps we're more inclined to hold things a bit oh. more tightly and oh yes not show our vulnerability and and you know until you perhaps take the leap of faith and and start to show or demonstrate you don't know it all and you need to bring the team in together to collaborate and 
Um, and then we start to realize we really know nothing at all. No, I, think. <laughs> I, know. I mean, I, I joke a lot that I'm a recovering perfectionist because it's <laughs> yeah. true. You know, I put on the suit at 22 years old and marched into the financial services world and kind of kept that armor on for so long. And in some ways, it's served us all well. Right. We have to show up in a certain professional way. But I think over time, you know, it can be easy to use that armor to protect ourselves from being vulnerable mm. and to showing weaknesses that we have and failures that we've made. But yet, I think that shows incredible strength when leaders do that. So that's been part of my journey is to show up more authentic in that way and actually being comfortable talking about what I don't know, but mm. trusting that we all have these great minds and bodies and intelligences we can learn. Back to my point about becoming mm. lifelong learners. So I don't know it now. Well, I can figure it out yep. and learn. Yeah, and that's that's been an empowering shift for me in that way. Yeah, and I and I wonder was there a moment where you started to catch a glimpse of operating in a different way and the and the kind of impact that might create? Well, I was 2013, and I listened to Brene Brown's TED Talk, quite honestly, <laughs> yeah. about vulnerability. And it, and then I read her book, and I was on my knees going, oh, my God, this is exactly what all my issues have been and why I've been burned out, because this striving for perfection, this standard that many of us have for ourselves, I certainly had for myself of never good enough, constantly trying to achieve more, earn more money have the next promotion was so um, detrimental to my well-being. And so this shield of perfectionism of showing up with a mask actually is what ultimately was my undoing. (laughs) It's so interesting. So do I still now as a business leader want to strive to achieve great results? Do Do I want to lead a big team to deliver great outcomes and serve our customers? Of course I do. But being able to work through, and I'm a constant work in progress, but being able to learn how to be more confident and courageous with authenticity and vulnerability has been a big, big part of the last five years for me. Yeah. And and was that, did you actively, I guess that sounds like that's been part of your journey back from burnout that you, yes. was there this moment when you went, I have to be able to do, I have to start doing this thing called life in a different way. Yeah, I was walking out of my a yoga class once mm. with a great yoga teacher who's now a friend of mine, and we were walking. I live in Sydney in the King's Cross area. We were walking past the Coke sign, famous Coke sign, and he said, you know, Heather, because I was early in my yoga practice, he said, you know, Heather, I think the more you practice yoga, you'll find that it'll kind of peel back the layers of your personality, and you'll get to know your true nature. And I'll never forget where I was standing because I just described it to you, and I just looked at him, and I said, Chaitanya, that is the most beautiful thing I have ever heard, but I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) No idea. That's how much armor and protection I had from the corporate world. I thought I was my business card. I thought I was the title on my business card. So stepping away from it was this huge stripping away of all these identities and all these shields. And so, and then that's when the mindfulness practice kicked in and doing silent retreats and actually really getting to know myself again and has been a big, big part of my journey and, oh. why, and why I teach now in that space. I Thank you for sharing that because I think there may be people listening that also have had those moments that are cu- they're curious about um, 
living and working in a different way and they know that they might want to make a kind of shift change and they may even be having kind of mentors or people around them saying you know that they can see certain things in them that might happen and I remember as well people would say those kinds of things to me and I would be like but I don't know what you mean like I don't you know I really have my armor up as well but it wasn't until you know many years of practice of sort of stripping away some of the armor you start to get a different experience of life and so I just wanted to point that out to everyone listening. If you feel like you're on the journey, you know, go lightly with yourself. It yes. is a journey. It's not something that we're just going to switch to overnight. Well, and, and just to get a little more practical with mm-hmm. it, you know, I think if, you know, if anybody experiences burnout and just kind of questioning what's my purpose, all those big questions, they mm-hmm. sort of happen around midlife. That's when, <laughs> yeah. when they sort of happen. You know, there's different there's no one path and there's different journeys. It could be a great therapist. It could be a great friend. Um, Oprah always talks about she never had to see a therapist because she had the best friend that she could always talk to. It could be a great friend. It could be mindfulness practice. It could be yoga. It could be music. It could be a number of avenues where we really tap into who we really are mm-hmm. and really uh, with some self-compassion and hopefully some letting go of the judgments, we start to emerge as a bit of what I was describing, my yoga teacher said, we get to know who we truly are and our true nature. And it's a wonderful, challenging, very hard, but very rewarding journey to go on. Yeah, I I love that. Thank you for pointing that out and just sharing a bit of, because it'll often be when you're ready, the right person, you know, or modality or whatever kind of comes your way. And so if you are somewhere that someone that's kind of sitting here now and thinking, oh, yeah, I feel like I'm ready for some change, then just have your radar on because chances are someone will walk into your life that will start to have this kind of conversation with you. And just just I encourage you to kind of trust your gut and, and go with that. Well, and this is where I've really valued you because I was talking with you about a recent change I did about eight months ago. I was supposed to move to Chicago, leave this country I love and move to mm-hmm. Chicago. And you were really helpful for me during that time. And then then I got to Chicago on a visit, thankfully, to look at the job, look at the city. And while Seattle, or, uh, Chicago is a great city, it just isn't my city. And yes, I'm an American, but America is a big place. Chicago is not a place I know. And I really had to tune into the wisdom of my emotions, the wisdom of my body to say this wasn't the right decision for me. And I remember coming back and telling you about this decision and you said something really powerful to me. And I don't know if you know this, but it has been super empowering and it's stuck with me ever since. You said, well, isn't this great? You had such clarity um, in making that decision. And even though that you don't know what's next, you're gonna sit in this great space and you called it the fertile void of knowing where you've been, but not knowing where you're going, but trusting that it will reveal itself. And thank you for that, because mm-hmm. that has exactly been the space that I've been in uh, and emerging from, but it creates such great a great mindset for being open to possibilities and trusting that you'll find the next, the next path. Yeah, thank you. But, well, yeah, thank you for saying that. And um, we talked a little bit about this, because yes, when you're going through these periods of change, 
we've almost got to strip out some of the old stuff and the old identities to make way for the new, but it can feel really unfamiliar because I think most of the people listening to this were used to being in action and getting things done and chasing goals down and we're not very comfortable with just being and waiting for things to emerge. And I think that's also part of the sort of daily practice and the mindfulness practice if you find yourself in these transition points to allow that to be and to I, I jokingly say when I'm in these these times I meditate like hell you know I know you know I'm just kind of trusting that I've just got to stay here and the right thing will emerge so you know that with that if anyone sat here you know in that transition point as well you know um, resisting the urge to just jump in and take the first thing or whatever is takes courage. It does take courage. Mm. And everybody's in a different situation Mm. of how, you know, whether what financial resources we have Mm. and such. And I think the, the, the other reflection that I have is that you can also, we can also create change just right where we are. So it doesn't have to be a big life change. And I've done a couple of them, like moving to Seattle at the end of a relationship and starting a new life and then quitting a great job and you know, taking two years off, you know, now I reflect on the last one, the burnout period, and it was the right thing for me. But had I had more of these tools and practices while I was working, and this was probably before mindfulness or emotional intelligence was really even talked about in the corporate world, but now it's becoming more mainstream. And isn't that great that we can actually, right where we are, start making small changes to perhaps uh, manage stress in a different way, be a bit more resilient, be able to navigate difficult emotions. I mean, these are wonderful life skills, and I'm just so thrilled that the science is now coming on to back it up so that more people have access to these types of helpful practices. That is so true. I sort of feel like in my also the similar timing around burnout, like people were not necessarily talking about mindfulness programs or mental health, mental health or well-being programs at this point. I remember when I first started the business, people were like, oh, yeah, sounds interesting. But, you know, we're that's just yoga or which is great. You know, they, people didn't really understand the breadth of these practices and the power of them in terms of helping us to show up day to day as leaders as our best selves. And so I'm loving that it's more widely accepted and available to everybody in work and and kind of life. Well, and you have these wonderful, very um, commercial, large organizations that have also Mm. paved the way. And I give great respect to the Googles of the world, the LinkedIns of the world, SAP, United Nations, many others that have said we actually have to care for the mental well-being of our people on the ground Mm. (laughs) in our workforce to actually be a successful business. So it take, takes people like you and other coaches and teachers, but it also takes very forward-thinking organizations to create the change. And thankfully, we have some models of those. And I love that. And I think this is a good place to kind of wrap because it's forward-thinking organizations, but it's forward-thinking leaders like your good self that go, you know, I might have to push against the grain a bit, but I firmly believe down in my gut and in my heart that this is the way we need to start creating the change so that our, uh, both ourselves and our people can kind of thrive right where they are. They are. So I, I wonder in this kind of, you know, final word, word for today or final question, you know, um, if I if this has kind of got you curious, our listeners at, at home around thinking around what is it going to take for 
me to get future ready and consciously start creating the changes that will have me thrive and, and, and others thrive in the organization, what would be maybe just one piece of advice that you would give to our listeners that they could start working on kind of right now today to sort of come on this journey? Well, I'm, it's a great question. I'm a passionate believer. If we want to create change on the outside as leaders, we all want to have an impact. That change has to come first from within. So whatever that, whatever path, whatever support, whatever is right for us as leaders to create that change from within so we can be at our best is how we have the most impact outside. Oh, I love that. It's, it's what a great place to kind of wrap today just no matter what is going on around us, this crazy externalized world that's moving at such a fast pace, just the thought of just starting within, you know, starting to listen, starting to quiet things down, starting to work on connecting with and accepting more of ourselves and more of the parts of ourselves so that we can kind of show up and be that great leader for ourselves and our people and our loved ones let's not forget we don't separate kind of work and life but i think that's a really lovely and powerful place to end so thank you so much oh thank for you all of your words of wisdom today and thank you for all the work you do because it makes a real impact for me and many of the people so thank you very much claire thank you I really hoped you enjoyed my conversation with Heather as much as I did. And, you know, if it has thrown up some thoughts for you in terms of, yes, I know I need to operate in a different way, otherwise I'm going to burn out where I am, or yes, my perfectionism is blocking me being a more authentic leader and asking for help and collaborating with others, or you're kind of curious about exploring what becoming a more human, emotionally intelligent leader might do for you in your life, in your career, or with your team or organization, then I am always here to chat further about this if these things have bubbled up for you. You may also be interested in the program we're launching a little later this month about becoming a more luminous leader. Um, applications are open for this program. If you are really ready to evolve as a leader, um, then I'd love to chat to you more about this. Please just email me at Claire at Clarity Inc. and we can fix up a chat. So that's Claire spelled C-L-A-R-E at Clarity Inc. spelled C-L-A-R-E-T-Y-I-N-C dot com. And again, thanks so much for listening. Look forward to tuning in with you next time.